This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode, we have questions from Emmalyn, Stephen, Susanna, Noah, and Caleb F. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's get started with our serious questions. We have two questions this episode, one from Emmeline and one from Stephen. First, Emmeline asks, why does the closing words section say salt and light? When our sermon series on Matthew reaches chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, we'll hear Jesus himself telling us that we are called to be salt and light. First of all, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Here's the idea of being salt. Salt is a seasoning that makes everything taste better. And Jesus is saying that's how we, as his followers, should be. Our love of God and our pursuit of Jesus should improve the world around us. It should make people's lives more hopeful. But if we don't actually follow Christ, then we're like seasoning that has lost its taste. We're we're good for nothing, in other words. Then Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now really here he's making the same point as he does before, but with a different metaphor. Just like it would be crazy to hide a light when you need that light to see, it would be crazy to keep your faith to yourself, to keep it hidden, and not let it shine through your actions, which give glory to God. So the reason that we include those words salt and light at the end of our service is as a reminder to us. As we leave the sanctuary and we go out into our everyday lives, that we are called to live in the world in a way that makes the world a better place, and that testifies to the grace of Jesus Christ. Stephen's question is this, how old is God now? Well, Stephen, God is eternal. He's everlasting with no beginning and no end. God created everything that exists, which means that he's been around much longer than anything else. So there's nothing older than God. On the other hand, God doesn't change, and one of the things that we associate with getting older is changing. If you think of God as being really, really old, then you might picture an old man on a throne with a really long white beard, but God isn't a man. He doesn't have a white beard. He isn't aging or getting older the way that humans do. 
So the best way to think about God is to think of him as being outside of time. Time doesn't apply to him the way that it does to us because after all, he made time. And now it's time for the big question, which comes this time from Susanna. Let's hear it for Susanna. Here's Susanna's question. Is it a sin to be scared? Because God can save you from anything. Susanna, to think through this question, we need to address a couple of different points. First, what does it mean to say that something is a sin? Second, what is fear and is it right or wrong to feel fear? And then also we need to think about what does the Bible say about our fear? So first, let's think about the question of what makes something a sin, because if we can answer that, then we can figure out whether being afraid is actually sinful. This may surprise you, but there's actually a couple of different ways of defining the word sin. You've probably heard that sin means literally missing the mark. If you imagine an archery target where dead center is the mark, uh, your arrow, if it lands just an inch away or two inches or, or two feet, you've missed the mark, and that is sin. So basically, the idea here is that God is perfect, and anything that falls short of absolute perfection is a sin. So when we say we are all sinners, that's like saying nobody's perfect, which means that ironically, everybody agrees that human beings are sinful by nature. Everyone, Christian or not, believes that because everyone believes that nobody's perfect. It's just that most of us don't think that imperfection is a big deal because we're so used to it. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives us a more precise definition of sin. It says, Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So let's break it down. The law of God is an expression of his will. He's told us what he requires. It's written down for us in the Bible. So then sin can happen in two ways, according to the Shorter Catechism. Number one, want of conformity unto. That means not doing what God says you should do. So God says in his law what you should do, and if you don't do it, that's a want of conformity. The second way is transgression of. Transgression of means doing what God says you should not do. So in God's law, he says there are certain things you shouldn't do. If you do those things, that is a transgression of the law of God. So in simple terms, uh, you may hear people talk about sins of omission. That's not doing what you should do. And sins of commission. That's doing what you should not do. So we have the law of God. And then we have either not doing what we're told or doing things we're told not to do, and that is sin. So that's a general framework, and we can apply that to the specific question of fear. When you're afraid, are you doing something that you should not do? Are you leaving out something that you should be doing? Well, yeah, I think we can say that you are. When we're afraid, are we doing something we shouldn't do? Well, we are, are showing a, a lack 
of confidence in God when we're afraid? Are we leaving out something that we should be doing when we're not showing faith in him to take care of us? So in that sense, we're, we're leaving out something we've been told to do. But it also depends on what it is that you fear, right? Because there's plenty of things that the Bible tells us that we should fear. Like we should fear the Lord, for example. Uh, sinners specifically should be fearful of God's justice because his justice, which flows from his holiness, means that our sins will be punished. And that's something to be afraid of. And we should have a reverent awe and respect for God at all times. And that's what the Bible talks about with fear of the Lord. But at the same time, there are a lot of things that we should not fear that we do. But we should not fear the harm that men can do to us. We should not be afraid of those who can hurt us or slander us. If we belong to Christ, then we shouldn't be afraid of anything that stands against him. Here's the funny thing, though. Whenever angels appear, what's the first thing that they often say? You'll see them say things like, fear not, uh, do not fear, don't be afraid. And these aren't words of rebuke on the part of the angels. They're words of comfort. They're words of encouragement. So in our weakness, we often fear what we should not fear. But Jesus meets us in our weakness. He understands and he sympathizes. Now, sometimes it is a sin to be fearful, but Jesus forgives us of our sins, including our fears. Now, to illustrate this, he's given us the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, as you read through the Psalms and you sing them, you see that they display a full range of human emotion, including fear. The psalmist often expresses anxiety and fear out loud, confessing it to God and looking to God for comfort and assurance. And that's a model for us when we are afraid. So to sum up, God doesn't want us to be afraid, but he forgives us our fear and he fills us with his spirit of hope instead. Now, before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, we have a question from Noah who asks, what kind of church is better? The kind with a loud guitar and singing bands and flashing lights, or the kind where they quietly sing hymns with a piano? Well, depending on their tastes, I imagine most people could answer this question pretty easily one way or the other. But the truth is that these are not the right criteria for judging whether a church is on the right track. There are actually three things that you need to consider when you're evaluating a church's faithfulness. The first one is the faithful teaching of God's word. The second one is the right administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the third one is the practice of spiritual discipline. In other words, if a church is teaching scripture faithfully, if it's administering the sacraments regularly, and it's encouraging its members to follow Christ daily, then that is a good church, regardless of all that other stuff. You have to remember that the churches founded by the apostles didn't have guitars, they did not have lights, they did not have pianos. Yet they were wonderful churches, churches that we would do well to emulate. How is it possible that they could be such good churches without all of these things that we often think of as essential? 
Well, it's really simple. Church is not a show that we can judge based on its production values. Church is a community that we can only judge on its fidelity to the Bible and how that faith is lived out. And now finally, Caleb F. has a question. He asks, do you like fishing? Well, Caleb, I definitely like to eat fish. And although I've been told by several friends of mine who are avid fishermen that I would enjoy it, the fact is I don't really go fishing and I've only ever caught one fish in my entire life. And even that was kind of an accident. I was on a youth group trip and I didn't even know that you had to put bait on your hook. And I was just throwing a naked hook into the water and and a fish somehow got stuck on it. That is the only fish that I've ever caught. And even that was a pretty small one. Having said that, let me put it this way. I like the idea of fishing, especially fly fishing, where you stand in the river and you gently coax all the fish into your basket. And there's all these little flies and lots of fussy little equipment. I like the idea of doing something like that. I've just never done it before. And to be honest with you, I'm one of those people who'd much rather just have other people catch fish for me and then bring them to me for eating. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Until next time, remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.